Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And before we begin, as I always do, remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast, wealthformula.com. Lots of resources there for you, stuff to download and learn a little bit more. Also some lists that you might be interested in, in particular the accredited investor list. If you have an interest in deploying capital, you can get onboarded into our investment group there. Again, that is if you're an accredited investor. Go to wealthformula.com, just uh, hit on Investor Club and you will be there. A couple other things, uh, you know, it's about time that we're going to start doing some more Ask Buck shows. So if you want to go to wealthformula.com, click on the Ask Buck thing and basically record a question that would be ideal. Otherwise, you'll see an email coming out shortly and you can write an email uh, version as well. But you know, I really like hearing voices. So that's really um, a helpful thing and makes it more exciting for me. Anyway, do me a favor, record a question or two if you have one. For today, listen, we're going to talk about something that I don't talk that much about, and it's gold and whether you should buy gold and that kind of thing. The The thing is, uh, you know, in this alternative investment space, if you tell somebody you're in the alternative investment space, everyone kind of assumes you're, you know, gold gold bug. And I have to tell you, I used to be and the idea of holding gold because it holds its value over time. That's very real. There's no doubt in it. I don't doubt it. I, I've said it before, but you know, the announce of gold in the times of Christ would buy you the, you know, a nice toga, a pair of sandals, you know, and now an ounce of gold will buy you a decent suit and shoes. So that is a uh, you know, admittedly, that's a pretty darn good track record. So does gold belong in your portfolio? That's for you to decide. For me, I don't see gold as an investment per se. And in that regard, I think even the gold bugs would say, yes, of course, gold is money. Everything else is not. So to the extent that you may want to have some of your liquid assets in gold, it may make some real sense except for that it's, you know, kind of hard to carry in your wallet, but, uh, you know, to have it as an expression of money rather than an investment, I kind of get that. I'm still trying to figure out and I'm trying to get someone to convince me of otherwise. But to me, again, real estate, when I think about real estate, it has so many of the qualities of what people want with, with gold in the sense that 
it's a real asset. It's needed. It goes up, uh, you know, it's it, especially with residential real estate it is an extraordinary hedge against inflation because you're raising rents every, every year and you're basically keeping up with it. So, so I'm still trying to figure out what the net net benefit compared to that would be because real estate to me seems like, you know, it has all of the benefits potentially of gold, except, you know, gold can't cash flow. Um, when you you know when you buy real estate, it it should it should be cash flowing real estate. In fact, with real estate, you, know, you can leverage also and buy more of it and have it pay off the debt with the income from the property. That's stuff that you just can't do with gold, right? I mean, or you shouldn't do with gold. Otherwise, you're just going to be paying interest on something and hoping that you you know you beat the appreciation of the gold itself. Again, you can't reasonably leverage. The purchase of gold and if you do you'd have no income to offset interest rate payments but to be clear this is just my opinion i don't own physical gold but a lot of smart people do and i don't claim to be right in that regard and this is where personal finance becomes personal right ultimately you want to hear people's opinions you want to hear the arguments one way or another, and then you make decisions on how you, you know, how you proceed. And for me, you know, no one's really kind of gotten me uh, that excited to own physical gold. That said, this week's episode of Wealth Formula Podcast, I've got a guest who speaks really eloquently um, for the case of physical gold. And so whether you're a gold bug or not, I think it's worth a listen to help you make your own decisions. Uh, when we talk with Charles Goyette, when we come back after these messages. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear, Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Charles Goyette. He's the New York Times bestselling author and radio personality, and he's known for his outspoken libertarian views and his economic commentary. He's also the author of The Dollar Meltdown, Red and Blue and Broke All Over, 
and he's also the co-author of The Last Gold Rush Ever. Welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast, Charles. It's great to speak with you, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, it'll be fun to listen to your show as well, but I'd love to, you know, kind of pick your brain on on what's going on these days. You know, obviously, you your background and your interest is uh, a belief in gold and sort of the the uh, negative impact that the Federal Reserve is having on the dollar. Can you talk a little bit about maybe just an historical perspective, uh, the performance of, you know, fiat currencies in general, maybe the U.S. dollar in particular versus gold? Yeah, I'd be very happy to do that. And my, my interest as well is besides all the brutal time that I have to spend keeping an eye on what the Federal Reserve is up to, I'm interested in Austrian economics, the economics sure. of uh, prosperity and free people as well. Right. And uh, unfortunately, we're not living in an economy of uh, Austrian economics or an economy of uh, free market capitalism. And so, you know, the economy is boomed and busted and busted and boomed over and over again by the Federal Reserve and its monetary policy. And as a result of that, we have to spend an inordinate amount of time watching uh, uh, what they are up to. So when we say that the dollar is a fiat currency, people say, what does fiat mean? And I finally, after talking about this, like really for 20, 30, 40 years or whatever it's been, I saw a great example to illuminate what fiat actually means. So in the Old Testament, there's a line that everybody of every faith knows in which God creates the world and he says, let there be light. But if you read it in Latin, it goes fiat lux. It's a decree or a command that there be light. Got it. And so when you say fiat currency, you're talking about a currency <laughs> that has no innate. So let you know, there be currency. <laughs> it's, its value is the fact that uh, somebody in a high place has said, let this be money. Yeah. And uh, it may have value for a while. The, uh, the order from on high for you to use it as money may last for a while. But somebody asked me, Buck, one day, um, how many how many fiat currencies or paper currencies have uh, have ended have collapsed throughout history? I don't know the answer, but my smart aleck answer is all of them. Yeah, the ones that haven't collapsed yet are well on their way. Yeah, yeah. So, to talk a little bit about like the the Fed policy in particular right now, and I and I should point out too, like I I share you know um, something in common with generally libertarian views. Um, my concern is, you know, neither party really holds true to the libertarian uh, values when it comes to the economy. And then now you have the Fed playing a role into that as well. And obviously they're politically motivated. So how, how does this all kind of come together? Yeah, that's, that's a great entree for me because, you know, the, the Fed persists in Republican administrations and Democratic administrations with essentially the same policy. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Alan Greenspan was reported, was appointed by Reagan, right? was reappointed by Clinton, was reappointed by Bush, and so on and so forth. And it's the same, you know, with uh, uh, Jerome Powell, who was appointed by, uh, um, I believe, Barack Obama, and then reappointed mm -hmm. by, um, by Donald Trump and so on. But whatever it is, the names change, but the policy remains the same under Democratic and Republican administrations. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like what's going on on the international stage. You know, we read that central banks around the world are moving their reserves, their dollar reserves out of dollars and into gold. 
And, and the reason, of course, is kind of self-evident that they know exactly, you know, they're all central bankers. If you read, you know, read a, you know, a paper by a, um, a senior Chinese central bank official, it reads like somebody that's a Keynesian from the Fed. They all say the same things. But the reason that they're moving their, their currencies out of uh, do- their dollar reserves and into gold is because they know how the game works. So they don't mind fleecing their own people with their own fiat made up money. They just don't want to be victimized. They don't want to be fleeced by us. So, and, and this is the way that Republicans and Democrats are internally in the microcosm of the United States. You know, the, the Republicans, you know, don't want policies that, uh, you know, subsidize the cronies and the contributors of the Democrats. And then when they get in power, of course, they want policies that subsidize the cronies. <laughs> just trading, the re- trading cronies. <laughs> it just goes on forever, and it always ended very badly. Now, when you think about invest or investing in gold, buying gold, do you think about it as largely a wealth preservation tool or a wealth building tool? So um, I think that it's fair to kind of apply both terms to it. It's certainly wealth preservation through the ages, through the centuries, around the world. It's the enduring currency. It's the enduring wealth preservation tool of the world. But you know what happens in, in, uh, in times in which faith is lost in the central banks and their ability to manage affairs? in times when we have uh, high inflation like we've had in the United States, then um, gold and silver, too, begin to outpace the performance. So if the money's depreciating at 8% a year, don't worry for a minute that gold's only going to go up 8% that year because it tends to, you know, markets are forward-looking, and so they watch what the Fed is doing, and so markets tend to move faster. So they're profit. They're good profit opportunities in gold and silver in addition to to, uh, to wealth preservation. So I, I think they've got a foot in both camps. Do you, uh, do you make a distinction between um, gold stocks versus physical gold? Yeah, I, I do. And it's a very, very important one. And uh, if, it depends on the, the investor psychology. If you think the things will go along more or less as they have been. If you believe that the monetary system is stable and it's more or less intact, and yes, they may print $10 trillion over the course of a few years and devalue the dollar, but everything's going to be fine. If you think there's some underlying stability or reliability to the monetary system as presently constituted, then uh, you think, well, I can offset the inflation. I could do very well with gold stocks. But if you have, you don't have to be apocalyptic, but if you think that there's some rough road ahead, and uh, I am here to persuade anybody that cares to talk about it that there is, but if you think there is some rough road ahead for the United States economy, for the uh, the U.S. dollar, um, then all of a sudden it becomes much, much more important to have physical gold. Um, it doesn't do you a lot of good to have gold that you can't get your hands on. And uh, this happens all over the world and happened uh, shamefully here in the United States in the 1930s when monetary gold was nationalized. The U.S. government made it a criminal offense to hold monetary gold, punishable by 10 years in jail and a $10,000 fine. So if you think that things are going to be stable, more or less, and the prices may go up and they may inflate and you want to stay even with inflation or get a little ahead with gold stocks, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful idea, but it is not the kind of thing that you want to do if you think that uh, 
there's going to be some real turmoil ahead. So underlying um, the thesis on gold ultimately is, you know, pretty common. Uh, the, the consensus being that the dollar is, weak, is going to be um, continue to get weak. The, the spending that we're doing is, you know, making the dollar weak. The government is or the Fed is is continuing to print money and that's making it. But let, let's let's just say, OK, so gold is one alternative. But another way to approach that would be, well, wouldn't any physical asset, for example, real estate, um, wouldn't that hold the same benefit? Uh, say you're holding real estate, presumably that value of that real estate is going up as well because of inflation and weak dollar and all that. So can you make a distinction for me? between the uh, you know owning gold and owning real estate or if you know if if in your mind it's it's all kind of the same well they're not the same and uh, i wouldn't say anything to slam real estate my yeah. wife is a highly accomplished uh, real estate agent of 32 years yeah. or so and so yeah. it's yeah. always been an important sure. part of our family life but i will tell you that they you people uh, looking at it they don't understand in a way that they might have forgotten that Real estate uh, is very, it's very interest rate sensitive. It's mm-hmm. hugely important in an environment of, of rising interest rate. But uh, the question in in uh, in difficult times, depending how things play out, is a question of liquidity. And gold is the most liquid asset in the world. There is always a market for it. I saw a, a National Geographic special years ago in which they caught some uh, some people in uh, deep in the Amazon, uneducated, illiterate, but they were panning for gold deep in the Amazon. And uh, when the camera crew and the producers, you know, asked them if they'd sell them some of the gold, they knew instantly what the London fixing on gold was. <laughs> that day. They knew what the price was, even though they had no radio, no communications or anything. So the gold is highly liquid around the world. And, uh, there doesn't have to be a coincidence of wants in gold like there does in real estate. If you have for me a wonderful piece of property that I adore in Montecito that I would very much like to have, but my wants are for something else, I can't take it and then hope to sell it instantly overnight to somebody else. Now, if I were practicing in that market, maybe maybe I could. But I guess the point I'm making is that um, People hold gold not because they want to consume it or use it or hold it forever, but it is instantly liquid to the next person. So no matter what it is that they seek to acquire or what they need, in a crisis, gold is a premium liquidity. From from a practical standpoint, I'm just curious, and I you know I don't carry you know I don't I don't carry a lot of gold, but say you wanted to have a couple hundred thousand dollars in gold, million dollars in gold, whatever. I mean, how how difficult is it to you know, store it. Where do you store it? Are there places that don't charge you an arm and a leg, but still, you know, provide you the ability to store that gold? Well, you have to be kind of cautious here. I'm very glad you asked me that, Buck, because uh, um, first of all, the banks are um, displaying growing hostility to gold. Sure. And even in your personal safety deposit box, they don't really want it. Won't name banks by name, but they are their hostility. Well, they see a lot of money coming out of the banks and going into gold. They don't really like yeah. that very much. Yeah. But uh, um, there are other pitfalls. For example, there's a kind of a well-known story uh, 
some of the details have eluded me, but in, in uh, Beverly Hills and over the last couple of years, in a non-bank depository, so it was a non-bank depository because it was in Beverly Hills, people not only had their personal papers and effects there, you know, showbiz people had their jewelry that they wear on Oscar night and so on and so forth. But it had it had nothing to do with the bank, so it didn't come under the banking laws. But uh, the FBI got onto somebody. I don't know whether they, he was a terrorist or a money launderer or a drug dealer or whatever it was. One account holder with a box in that bank, and they cut down the whole bank. So hundreds of people were denied access to their wealth, to their papers, to their effects, while the entire bank was cordoned off. And as I recall, it took them litigating for years to uh, get finally get access to their own uh, property, even though it was wasn't a bank and it wasn't under the 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 uh, the uh, authority of the FDIC or any of the other federal banking institutions. So the answer is that uh, um, gold does you a lot more good when you can get your hands on it in a crisis, and a crisis may or may not mean a, a bank closes or a cascade of banks closing for a short period of time, which uh, certainly has happened in our history. So uh, somebody like myself that talks to people about owning gold, uh, I get this question a lot, what should yeah. I do with it? And you know, my answer is, is don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's somewhere in your plant uh, planters or something like that. Um, so, you know, the um, in recent years, we've got the advent of something that has some of the uh, qualities of gold that might be a little bit more mobile, and that's um uh, cryptocurrency, particularly Bitcoin, love to get your thoughts on that. Because if you look at, you know, I think um, the younger generations and stuff, they really have a tremendous amount of faith in Bitcoin to the extent that it, it, may, it may rival that of gold. They prefer Bitcoin over gold. Can you talk a little bit about what you see the role of Bitcoin is um, and I'm going to stick to Bitcoin because the rest is the rest. I don't really, buy, you know, like I don't, I don't know what's going on with the rest. But Bitcoin has a a clear, in my mind, some role going on in the future here. Yes. So I am a Bitcoin uh, owner, but only because my younger son fits your demographic uh, yeah. description right. and sent me Bitcoin for my birthday. Yeah. Other than that, I don't own it. I've been approached to uh, to, to deal in it and stuff going back to the very beginning. And I've always taken this, this is Nobel Prize winner Friedrich Hayek's mm -hmm. kind of idea that, you know, let let uh, competing currencies evolve and see what people like, what people choose for themselves. Right. And so I'm always happy to see something competing with the dollar and alternatives to the U.S. dollar, which I feel is uh, criminally mismanaged. And uh, Bitcoin may or may not turn out over the long haul to be the perfect or the best possible alternative better even perhaps than gold. I don't see it that way. I think gold's track record kind of trumps the uh, the comparison. But uh, I am happy to see people experiment with it, develop alternatives, and I'm especially happy that they're doing it with their money and not mine. That's right. That's right. Go yeah. ahead. Let's see what you can come up with and uh, what works over the long haul. Um, for the time being, I think that gold's track record is just unparalleled. Yeah. So, um you, I, I believe you have kind of suggested that you think that there's a, you know, ultimately a government plan to eliminate cash. Is that related to the, you know, central, central bank yeah. 
decentralized currencies and that kind of thing. Yeah, buckets, and I, I think it's a very, it's a very unhappy development for uh, for all of us. It, uh, um, and they are working on it uh, laboriously, uh, burning the midnight oil at the Mariner Eccles Building in Washington. They've got a hundred PhDs at the very least working on this all the time. The development of a central bank digital currency. Um, President Biden's staff posted it on the White House website a couple of months ago that this is President Biden's priority for us. And of course, who knows more about monetary policy than President Biden? So they're they're working pell mell on this thing, and uh, there there's a problem with this. And the problem is that uh, everything becomes open to surveillance. You have no liberty, no freedom of movement that is not surveilled. It's a very very negative thing. In China, they call it the social credit uh, system. So if you do something that makes yourself, um, uh, if you confound or you oppose the conventional wisdom, whatever it may be that emanates from the state, if you, I don't know, speak out rudely at a school board meeting or you demonstrate somewhere that you perhaps uh, uh, couldn't or whatever it may be, you find your social credit score goes down and all of a sudden you can't buy an airplane ticket or you can't credit or you can't buy a house or you can't get on, uh, you know, you can't do this and that. And so it's used this massive surveillance power that is intrinsic to a, a central bank digital currency is used to like virtually everything the government does is used as a tool of control and, uh, and, and enforcing social, uh, social conformity. I think it's a very, very bad, uh, yeah. bad development. And so, I think it virtually screens for people to get themselves, get some of their assets off the grid, off yes. the federal grid and into something like coal. Yeah. And, and what's interesting too about that is, well, there's a couple things. One is obviously yeah, I can see the government wanting to have surveillance of all, all money for taxation purposes. Right. I mean, that's, that's probably part of it. Um, I wonder, though, if there, I mean, they probably will have some required legislative process to get that through. And I wonder if there's this social, um, you know, the political uh, willpower, because I would think that people in general would see confiscation of cash or like the elimination of cash as a something that's you know against their civil liberties well you do and i do and i think people that are educated and understand the implications will get it but i'm not sure that we have uh um, we're enough of numbers to control the, the debate or the outcome and you know, we could be relegated to marginal complainers about it you know we still to this day um most of the american people you know basically think that um you know, that money, that greenbacks, for example, what gives them value? They think it's similar to the idea that, well, they think that, you know, it's like milk and eggs, they come from Safeway, right? They don't understand the whole messy business about the farm in the background. That's the same with money. They, they don't really think, they're not interested in the presuppositions of what gives this uh, paper money value and so on. And so when something like a, a central bank digital currency develops, they will hear some people squawking about it on talk radio shows or whatever it may be, or in the, you know, an occasional blog post somewhere, and uh, yet really not understand the, the full implications of it. But uh, we're at the point now where, 
you know, the, the government has virtually won the war on cash. It's undeclared, it's unlegislated, it was undebated, but uh, cash represents, too, a degree of anonymity. And the government's been very happy about that. And they, you know, as they, as they uh, repress the use of cash, it's always been because of, you know, drug dealers or terrorists. Well, the terrorists, the drug dealers keep on doing business just fine. Thank you very much. But, uh, you know, um, the, the American people can be criminalized for using cash in the most innocent way. And so, you know, there's a reporting requirement and it's not people in the gold business. It's you could be selling used automobiles. But if somebody comes to you with $10,000 or more in cash, the seller is required to file a report with the Treasury Department. You take 10000 or more out of the bank with cash or put 10000 or more dollars in the bank in cash. They're required to fill out a paperwork on you. But it's even worse than that, Buck. Yeah. Because if somebody comes in with, let us say, arbitrarily $9,950 in cash. Yeah. You have to wonder if they're not specifically trying to evade the reporting requirements and the government has a new report called suspicious persons report. Right. And the person at the bank or the bar dealer or whoever it may be is supposed to, you know, begin acting like law enforcement. Now oh, this person may be trying to evade the reporting requirements and now they're challenged. They're a burden with having to fill out another report uh, deeming them a suspicious person that needs to be inquired about and stuff. So. They've won the war on cash already, and people didn't squawk and didn't stop it. And uh, so central bank digital currency, I, I like to think, I hope you are right, that there, we are enough in numbers or that people are, are kind of educated that uh, you know, maybe we can dig in our heels and stop it. But, boy, it's, it's, move, it's moving, moving very, very fast. You know, I did a conversation with a really well-known uh, financial author one day. And he said, well, you know, when the fiat dollar, when the Federal Reserve's dollar uh, finally breaks down, the United States is prepared to replace it with the International Monetary Fund's special drawing right. Yeah. And I said, you must be kidding. You mean the people in the United States of America would be victimized by the failure of the dollar managed by central bankers in Washington, the Federal Reserve dollar, but they're automatically going to be transferred into the special drawing mm -hmm. line of yeah. the International Monetary Fund, which is flimsier steel still, and they're not going to squawk about it. They're going to let that happen. And he goes, yeah, they're going to do that because it's all ready to go and so on. So well, I don't, I think, I think they'll draw the line at some point. And I hope you're right that they draw it sooner rather than later with this stuff. I believe this is the, the, the latest book, right? Is the last gold rush ever. Is that, is that your most recent book? Yes. Uh -huh. So this is the last gold rush ever. Seven reasons for the runaway gold market and how you can profit from it. Now, I won't ask you to give all seven sure. <laughs> for free, but give us a couple of give us a couple yeah. of uh, examples of, of what you talk about. Well, thank you for that. It's it's kind of important having watched these markets uh, over many, many years. This one, this uh, budding beginning to build now. Uh, bull market and precious metals that we're in the very early stages of is unlike the ones that have gone before. It's always debt and it's always inflation that drives bull markets and precious metals, always, everywhere, debt and inflation. It's Venezuela, it's Weimar Republic, it's Zimbabwe, it's debt and inflation. But there's something else going on here that makes this quite unlike uh, the bull markets that have gone before and makes it, in my apocalyptic terms, sort of kind of the last bull market ever in gold and silver in the dollar as presently constituted. And that is that we have this kind of 
convergence of all these things going on at once in addition to the debt and in addition to, uh, to the money printing fiat money. Um, and so it's like when, uh, you know, an arson investigator comes to the scene of the fire and he sees, okay, so the plywood burned and the, the two by fours burned and so on. But if they suspect something's wrong, they go looking for accelerants. So in addition to the debt and in addition to the money printing, there are a lot of accelerants now that make this unlike uh, other bull markets. And one of them, I decide, I think everybody knows this now, is that the United States global military empire is coming undone. It's very clear that uh, the world is not marching to our tune anymore. We are driving uh, people around the world into one another's arms and out of ours. Uh, our promiscuous use of uh, sanctions and so on is creating new international global account settlement systems that are established specifically to bypass the dollar. So you've got that all of that going on at the same time. We have, you know, the, we're the biggest debtor in the world, and uh, still some historically low interest rates. So we have that going on at the same time. War on cash is another component. When there's a war on cash, people instinctively begin to look for alternatives that uh, gives them a chance to to uh, be outside that war to get assets out of the firing line. So you've got that going on. Um, so those are a couple of the things, the war on cash, the end of uh, uh, dollar hegemony, uh, the end of the U.S. global military empire is very big. You know, the, the world had agreed to take U.S. dollars as their reserves as they used to hold gold sure, sure. in their central banks and issue their currency against the gold. They've been holding dollars since the end of World War II. But uh, as, we t as we talked about earlier, they're becoming very skeptical about uh, about the dollars, so new reserve um, um, alternatives are in development now, and uh, this will cost the American taxpayer uh, substantially uh, with the declining role of the U.S. dollar. So this um, this bull market is unlike any others, and has a finality to it because it is the end after a couple of hundred years. Uh, Reserve currencies fall by the boards. They seem to have kind of a lifespan that runs a couple hundred years, whether it's the pound sterling or uh, the U.S. dollar. And we are at the end of that uh, timeline, in my view. So when you say uh, how you can profit from it in that title of the book, it's basically to buy gold, right? <laughs> that's that's the main. Yeah, basically. That's the role. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes uh, that, that that makes sense. So, do you have a sense, Charles? Of you know, do uh, it always seems to me that like major steps um, like this, major changes in history, um, you know, the Bretton Woods or whatever, those types of things happen because of some cataclysmic event that gives the government governments the opportunity to change things because they say, well, we, we have to change things now. We can't go on, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, do I you, think you're right. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like that's kind of, you know, the trigger point in in your view, like of, of when some of this may really come to fruition? I, I do. And I actually, uh, I think, I think that the, the most immediate prospect that should be somewhat worrisome is the prospect of war. Mm -hmm. And there is nuclear saber rattling going on that has not been heard in this world since 1962 the uh, cuban missile crisis yeah. and it's a little bit frightening to hear just how cavalier 
people in high places can be talking about these right, things. Right. And um, when uh, when countries are cornered, they lash out. When great powers are challenged, they feel that they have to lash out. But all the elements are there, and I I think there's uh, there's a little bit of um, proliferating insanity in high places of people that think that nuclear weaponry and nuclear engagement wars of proxies can be contained and that nuclear weapons can be used even on a tactical basis and that somehow there's still a lid on their wider use and so on. But that is exactly what you're, what you've referred to in my view. It's the worst example of it. It's the most yep. dramatic example of it, but the kind of triggering and we use the word advisedly, the kind of triggering of it that will change the you know, global monetary system in the twinkling of an eye. So yes, uh, actually it is it is i think the number one thing to be concerned about right now it's very the prospect i don't think the american people really have an idea how serious um all of this has become mm-hmm. and it's kind of a specialty with me and i'm not going to take advantage of your time here to talk about it at length but it, it, it's things are happening very very fast and to somebody like myself that has watched it for a long time, I'm almost astonished at how fast things are moving in a way that could prove to be very frightening indeed. Well, I can uh, see with confidence. I'm hope I hope you're wrong about a lot of things here, Charles. But I do too. but uh, I do but it was too. Uh, great to have you on the show. And uh, the, the book again is the last gold rush ever. Seven reasons for the runaway gold market and how you can profit from it. I assume you can get this everywhere, Amazon, all that usual suspects. Sure. All the regular places, Amazon, of course. Fantastic. Charles, thanks again so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Yes, thank you so much, Buck, for having me on. I enjoyed it a great deal. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, one. I hope you enjoyed it. And... Maybe that's helped make a decision for you on whether or not you want to buy a bunch of gold. You know, I think, and again, I don't claim to have the answers. I don't. But that is what this show is all about, trying to give smart people an opportunity to express their opinions, tell you what's going on. We had some really smart economists who don't even agree with each other on what's going on in the economy. So... All of it is ultimately going to be about you thinking about what people are saying and the arguments that are being made and making your own personal finance decisions. And that's what I'm here for. But that's it for me this week on Well Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing out. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.